Well, good morning. Didn't ZNA do a great job up here? She's going to be heading to camp this week with a couple other girls and having a, a, a great time at a Christian camp. Some of you may have noticed that I have a, a tooth out in the front. I, I got a little mouthy with Kathy the other day. <laughs> no, that's not the true story. The true story is Emil and I were out at this bar and... Um, we started evangelizing. The guy didn't like what I had to say. Now, I wish it was something like that, right? Um, it, it really, I bit into a chip and my tooth came off. And it's going to take a couple weeks to have it fixed, so you're going to have to put up with me. I may lisp a little bit, um, you know, as I preach, so please forgive me. There's nothing I can do about it right now. Uh, Dennis putting together molds and he's on vacation next week. So, um, Anyways, if we've not met yet, my name is Ken and I'm the pastor here. And if you're new, I want you to know that there are no perfect people here, except my wife. There are no perfect people here. Um, but we worship, we worship a perfect God. And the truth is, at, at some point, um, me or, or someone else here will offend you in some way by their sin. The, the truth is we're all tempted to sin in, in many ways, and, and sometimes uh, when we do, we, uh, we offend others, and, and sometimes others are offended by our sin. It, it's part of real life to be constantly offended um, by the failings of others. It, it just happens here in our world. Sometimes we're cut off in traffic, and, and sometimes we're talked down by our leaders or our bosses or maybe our parents, and sometimes our, our spouses and our, our children say or do things that assault, insult us or offend us in some way. Um, we can be offended by what we see going on in the nightly news. Uh, we can be offended by our children's teachers that sometimes believe that they know better what's good for our children than we do. And, and sometimes we can become offended when things change. And often people are offended when they, they don't change. They, they like change. Um, often uh, we can offend ourselves. I offend myself sometimes in, in the ways that I act inconsistent to, to, in, in terms of who I know God wants me to be or who I desire to be. You know, looking at my own body offends me. Maybe some of you too. Um, uh, you know, old people like me can get offended by how young people act. And, and, and young people get offended by how us ancient people act. You know, today you can offend somebody easily, especially if you don't know the proper pronoun or, or the way people like to be identified. I was in a coffee shop the other day and I needed to get uh, the person's attention behind the, the bar and I was just like, excuse me, sir. Well, I don't think that that's how they identified because they turned around very offended and looked at me and I and I didn't mean to offend, I, I just didn't know. And hey, they didn't seem to work in that situation to get somebody's attention. But, you know, sometimes you can offend people if you don't know the ways they like to be identified. Maybe today we can be offended by uh, uh, what political party um, someone supports. Today many are offended when they find out you're a Christian. Just the fact that you're a Christian, people are offended. Uh, and... There are lots of people offended by other people's sin. And, and all that, that offense leads to a lot more sin. But being offended or staying offended is not the way Jesus calls his disciples to live. 
And, and so today I, I want to look at his word because I believe he can help us to not be an offense with, to others and to help deal better ourselves with other people when we become offended. So please open your Bible to Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It starts out this way. He, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. In the previous chapter, Jesus has been speaking to the Pharisees who were living for temporal things instead of eternal things. But now Jesus has turned his attention to his own disciples, and he says, temptations are part of life, and they're sure to come to all of us. And, and first, friends, I want to say it's not sinful to be tempted. See, Jesus was tempted, but he was sinless. And it's counterproductive to feel bad just because we're tempted. Because the shame that we feel is actually what sometimes will lead us into sin. See, Satan tricks us and makes us feel like we sinned when we're tempted, but we haven't. And he says, hey, you might as well go ahead and sin now because you're a sinner. And he, he, he tricks us into sin through temptation. The truth is temptation is not sin. It's just something that creates an opportunity for sin to happen. And, and the word that Jesus uses for temptation in the Greek is the word scandalon, which means an offense uh, or a stumbling block. Uh, being offended is one of the main things that tempts us people into sin. We, we get tempted to sin in our anger. We get tempted to sin in our despair or when somebody offends us in some other way. We can either respond to people in anger and sin and how we retaliate, or we can take the offense inward and, and sin in the way we medicate that feeling, or we can even self-harm because uh, we're feeling bad. The truth is, we can't completely avoid these kind of temptations in life. But we can be ready to resist those kind of temptations when they come. Jesus told his disciples to stay awake and pray on the night before he was crucified so that they would not enter into temptations. Friends, we need God's help to be ready for when temptations come to each one of us. You know, in Celebrate Recovery, they have an acrostic that I found very helpful in understanding when we can most easily be tempted. And it's called a heart check. And I want you to remember this, the heart check. Ask yourself, am I hurting? Am I exhausted? Am I angry? Am I resentful? Am I tense? Important defense to protect yourself from sinning is to care for yourself emotionally. To pay attention to your heart, those things I just talked about, when you're going into tempting situations. And tempting situations are all over. So daily we need to pray to God and, and, and do a heart check. Praying is a great way to, to get in touch with where your own heart is so that we can let God start to minister to it. Jesus died so we could live victorious over sin, and we need to call on his help every day to do it. And Jesus continues in verse 1. He says, But woe to the one through whom they come. Temptations. Again, we'll face temptation as believers, but Jesus says, woe, or judgment, judgment comes upon you if you seek to tempt others to sin. So 
So friends, how, how do we all tempt others into sin? By our own, un, our own uncontrolled anger, by our own lusts, and by our own fears. See, if we're constantly angry with people, we are tempting them to react in anger towards us. If we are chasing our lusts, we may be tempting others to fulfill their lusts. Sometimes we do this by our approval of their lust and their sin. And we do that, we approve their, their lust so that we don't have to feel guilty about our own. Sinners like to sin together because it's a way of justifying sin. They say, say stuff like, come on, don't be so religious. Let's just come on and do this. Or they say, hey, everybody does it. Come on. Or, or they say, hey, you just need a little taste of that. You, you, you deserve it. Hey, please come with me. It, it'll, it'll help me be good. Those are ways we, we tempt others into sin. Friends, we tempt others when we approve of sin. Sin is serious. Jesus died for it. We are not to play with it ourselves or lead others to approve of it by our actions or our attitudes. See, many people today consider sex out of marriage a, a victimless crime because both people are consenting to the sex. But what if you're a Christian and you know that it's sin? Are you just sinning against yourself? No, you're potentially tempting your partner, who could be a believer, to sin with you. And even if they're not a believer, you're, you're putting a stumbling block in front of them from believing because they see how little you care about God's standards and what his word says. Uh, another way we tempt others is by our fears. When we don't manage our fears correctly, um, by bringing them to God in prayer, as Jesus tells us, we tempt others not to trust God. And, and friends, our, our fears are contagious. Fear is something that can be passed down generationally. We fear things, all of us, but if it's habitual, if it happens instead of trusting God, then that fear can be passed down to our children. People are more affected by our practices in life than our doctrines in life, what we say we believe. Prayer is the answer to our fears, according to Jesus. So what are you practicing? Fear or prayer? What do you do when people offend you? Is it that you nurse your fears and then lead others into fear and hopelessness? Friends, are you an encouragement to others or a temptation to others? You know, this is a very important question that we all must ask ourselves. Because Jesus says, woe, which means grief or judgment to those who, through whom temptations come. If you don't believe me, how seriously Jesus takes us tempting others, he says this next. He says it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, a millstone was a huge round rock. I think there's a picture up there. They could weigh as much as 3,000 pounds. It was so heavy that a donkey or a horse or a team of them had to pull around 
the mill to, to, grain, uh, to, to, to crush the grain. It's not so much fun to go swimming with one of those. It's not a flotation device. Jesus said it would be better to go swimming with one of those than to cause one of his little ones or his disciples to stumble. The Greek word Jesus uses here for the word cause is the word skanzalizo, which means to put a stumbling block in front of another person or to entice them into sin. It also means to cause a person to begin to distrust or to desert the, what, the one that they should trust and obey. It's to lead somebody away from God. When we say we believe in God, and yet we act in ways that are, not, are contrary to his word, we are putting a stumbling block in front of others and their faith. This is true for believers and non-believers. It's not to say we have to be perfect, because everybody else knows we're not perfect. But it is to say we should not be willingly living in sin because it can lead others to doubt or to unbelief. You know, I remember there was a, a time when this man came to live in my house so that he would not be tempted into sexual sin with his fiancée until after the wedding. And he did this so that he could protect his witness to others, and he would not um, co be compromised or, 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 uh, or compromise her, and he wanted to honor God. And he had been living with me for a few weeks, and then a bunch of women in the church cornered him. And, and they said to him, What's it like living in Pastor Ken's house? <laughs> Strange question, huh? Friends, I'm not living on holy ground. I leave my underwears on the floor like most guys, right, Kathy? Socks, underwear, it's not holy ground. I stumble in many ways. I do not have a perfect life. At the time, I had teenagers who disobeyed me. Anybody else going through that? Um, anyways, <laughs> can I get an amen? No. <laughs> um, sometimes my wife would argue with me. Believe it or not, sometimes she would argue with me. And, 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 and we would argue about dumb stuff, and he'd see that. And, and sometimes I was selfish, and I spent more time watching TV instead of helping out around the house. And actually, if all that was a stumbling block to him getting married, he probably should not have gotten married. Right, because that's real life. We we fail. We we offend, right? But by the same token, if I was coming home drunk every night, and when I got home I just started watching pornography, then I would have been a stumbling block. A a real stumbling block. Not only to him, but to the women who were checking things out. I, I might have caused them to doubt the Jesus that I served. They would have thought, well, Jesus doesn't even keep the pastor in line. So what's a qualification for a pastor? 1 Timothy 3 says they must be above reproach, which means no one can lay a hold or an accusation upon them. For things like being violent, for things like being sexually lustful, for being a drunken partier, for being quarrelsome, or, or, or being greedy. See, I, I'm to be sober-minded and, and to pay attention to my actions and, and care for my family well. And if I fail in one of those areas, I disgrace his church and I have the potential to lead others into sin. Friends, each of you, as Jesus' disciples, are also called to live above reproach. And, and my message today is 
pay attention to your heart. Because that's exactly what Jesus says to us in this next verse. He says, pay attention to yourself in verse 3. See, we are to watch how we live so that we are not a stumbling block to others. This, this includes things that are sin and also things that other people consider sinful or wrong around you. You know, when Andrea and Rena and I go to Kenya, it's really hot there. And when we're out serving, we're not allowed to wear shorts. We're not allowed to wear shorts. Now, it's not because I have really sexy legs and I might tempt the women there. I, I might tempt the women with my cankles, okay? Um, uh, that's not because of that. It's not because of that. It's, it's because it's seen as inappropriate in their culture. And I might create an offense that could damage my witness or the team's witnesses. Friends, it, it's, it's not sinful to wear shorts unless you have my legs. Okay? It's not sinful. It's not sinful. There's no law in the Bible about the length of your pants or your skirts. But showing a little leg might bother someone's conscience, especially in that country. Maybe they don't see bare legs very often, and it, 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 it could tempt them into sin or, or judgment or, or some kind of lust. I don't know. But, but because we love our Kenyan brothers and sisters, and we don't want to distract or, or tempt people in any way, we wear long pants, even when it's really, really hot. You may say, well, Ken, are we not free in Christ? Pastor Ken, aren't you being very legalistic, worrying about that stuff? I'm free to wear what I want. But wearing what I want may not be sinning, but that's not the problem. But if, if you tempt other people to sin in your anger or lust or freedom, according to Jesus, it's also your problem. In, in Romans chapter 14, some of the disciples of you know, the apostle Paul was talking to believed that they could eat or, or drink anything they wanted. After, after all, Jesus says it's not what goes into the man that makes him unclean uh, or makes him sinful. It's what comes out of the motivation of his heart. You know, some believers at that time were upset because people were eating food that was sacrificed to idols. And idols are just wood or, or, or stone. And so crafty merchants would collect all the food after it had been used in their worship and sell it at a bargain. They were selling the used food. And the Christians often bought that to save a little money. And they were not sinning to buy the meat. But eating it in front of some of their more legally-minded Jewish brothers, it, it made them stumble. Uh, it, it, it went against their conscience, or, or they became offended by it. And, and this is what Paul said to those who felt free in what they ate and drank. He says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one whom Jesus died. And today, many Christians have a similar feeling about drinking alcohol. For them, and it is, in their conscience, sinful. But the Bible does not say having a glass of wine is sinful. It says that drunkenness is sinful, which, which can be debated. How much do you have to have to drink before it becomes sinful? 
See, drinking any alcohol has the potential for us to fall into temptation because we forget sometimes while drinking alcohol to pay attention to ourselves. And it can amplify our emotions. But, but it's not sin for those who handle alcohol responsibly. But your freedom in drinking has the potential to cause somebody with a problem with alcohol to stumble. Also, your freedom in it can cause someone with a different conscience about it grief. They feel like it's sin. And because I don't want to harm anybody, any of my brothers and sisters, I only drink at home alone in my closet. <laughs> no, that's not healthy. <laughs> Addiction is a disease of isolation. So I wouldn't suggest that either. Instead, the responsible way to use alcohol for a disciple would be not to drink if there's a possibility of uh, you being a stumbling block to someone or offending someone that has a different conscience about it that, than you do. Now, there are some right now thinking, Pastor Ken, you're giving license for people to drink. And there's others of you thinking, Pastor Ken, you're being very legalistic and restrictive. No, I am saying to you to do what Jesus said, pay attention to yourself. No matter what your opinion is about alcohol, what's most important is your motivation of loving your brothers and sisters. And that's what we always need to consider most. Not your freedom, and not whether somebody else is wrong, but are we showing love? The Apostle Paul also said this. He says, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Peace, building uh, with each other is more important than drinking or not drinking. It's, it's much more important. When believers fight or debate about matters like this, people become offended, and, and they become more easily tempted into sin. So avoid sin by showing love, either by being silent on those debatable matters or by abstaining to keep your brother's heart at peace. It's not sin to be a Republican or a Democrat. You may think so. People do today. So sometimes we need to be silent for unity's sake when people have different opinions than, than we do. Sometimes we, we, don't, we don't want to tempt people into arguments. Because it says, woe to us if temptation comes through us. Christians fighting each other on debatable matters causes the world also to be tempted into sin because of their unbelief. In, in debating these matters, people get hurt. They become exhausted with other people. We often get angry with people, and we often become resentful, and it creates a lot of tension. And Jesus says, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your heart instead. Is your motivation in everything you do love, or is it your freedom or your judgments in what is right? Even when we're right, friends, we can be wrong. Now, what if someone's behavior is actually sinful? What, what if it's actually sinful? Well, Jesus answers that. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Jesus uses the word if to be kind. The truth is we all sin against one another quite often. 
First, Jesus says sins. Friends, we don't need to debate about what sin is. It's to disobey the word of God. And there are many things clear in the word of God that we could disobey. And, and we sometimes do this intentionally and, and sometimes um, we do this unintentionally. But to keep our hearts pure, Jesus is saying, don't become offended that will make you angry and resentful and tense. Instead, we are to deal with that offense so that we're not tempted into more sin. Notice it says, if your brother sins before doing anything, I think we need to consider prayerfully, was this something clearly sin or was this something debatable? Also, we need to consider whether this is a brother or sister or someone who is not a follower of Christ. We can't expect unbelieving people to live according to God's word or his perfect design. And we need not be offended by their sin as much for their, honestly, they just don't know better. It's probably going to be fruitless to rebuke an unbeliever for something they do not understand is sinful. But brothers and sisters, um, it can be fruitful for both us and for them when we rebuke other believers. Now, rebuke doesn't mean criticize or complain about their sin. You know, the, the word rebuke in the Greek meant to show honor. To show honor. A disciple rebuking another disciple, if it's done correctly, honors them. It, it, it's telling them that you want the best for them and that sin or temptation that they have fallen into is not God's best for them. Friends, we do not rebuke out of our anger because we are offended. We rebuke out of love so that God is not offended and so others are not tempted because of their sin. Another definition of this word is to, of word rebuke, is to raise the price of to, to raise the price of something. Friends, a rebuke of sin is meant to add value to someone else. Criticism and harsh words are, are, are a way to take value away from somebody. A rebuke is not to be motivated by you feeling better for getting things off your chest. That, that's not a rebuke. A rebuke is to help them live better and live free from sin. When To rebuke successfully, we need to do what Jesus told us to do, pay attention to yourself. Before you rebuke, you need to ask yourself, are you hurting? Are, are you exhausted? Are, are you angry? Are you resentful or are you tense? If so, it's probably not a good time at all for you to rebuke someone. Conversely, if they are hurting, if they are exhausted, if they are angry, if they are resentful, if they are tense, it's probably not going to add value to them to rebuke them at that time. Here's something really important to understand in human communication. Truth plus tact plus timing equals transformation. Truth plus tact plus timing equals transformation. What, what is Jesus' goal here for a rebuke? Put them in their place? No. No. It is repentance, that they would turn from sin and turn to God. See, that is transformation for them. That's 
them being transformed from someone being enslaved to sin to someone freed by the love of God and you're helping them. See, we often rebuke badly because we do it out of our annoyance rather than our love. Then the goal is not transformation, it's retribution. Jesus' goal for rebuke is transformation. But there's another way we fail when it comes to rebuking. It's letting our fears keep us from obeying Jesus and doing it. Jesus tells us here to rebuke sin. It's a command. So not doing so when it's necessary because of our, our fears would be sin. Now, friends, what do we rebuke with? What do we rebuke with? Our opinions? No. No. Pay attention to your heart. We rebuke based on God's opinion and God's word. The Bible says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. Friends, what is the purpose of our correction to our brothers and sisters? What is the purpose? To make them better, to better their life. You know, the, verse 17 of what I just read before in, in 1 Timothy, um, or 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 3, is the man, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Our, our goal is to better our brothers and sisters. Is it, got to ask yourself, is, it, is this for your brother's or sister's benefit? Because friends, I want to tell you, no one here has the gift of criticism from God. That's not a spiritual gift. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. So good rebukes are full of joy, full of peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, even if they're not taken well. Even if they're not taken well. What our hope is in a rebuke is to restore relationship. Because sin has already started to be a cancer, breaking down their relationship with you and their relationship with God. Jesus says, if your brother or sister repents, then what do you do? You are to forgive them. What, what does this word forgiveness mean? It means to let go of. We are letting go of any retribution for the offense that their sin has caused. If they repent, God has forgiven it, right? If, if, if they've repented, God has forgiven it. Can you not forgive it if God has forgiven it? If, if they repented, the sin is gone, according to God's word. It, it's gone. His, his son died for it. it. If God forgave it, can't you? Because the matter is over if God has forgiven it, if they've repented. Now, some of your wheels in your head are turning. You're thinking scenarios. And, and Jesus must have seen the wheels turning in his disciples' brains. And, and so you're thinking like the disciples were probably thinking, they're going to do it again. They're, they're going to do it again. And Jesus says this, and if he sins against you seven times a day and turns to you seven times a day saying, I repent, you must 
forgive him. Friends, it doesn't matter how many times someone sins against you. It doesn't matter how many times. What matters is you paying attention to your own heart. Be ready to forgive them again. It, it, it can take a while, sometimes a long while, for brothers or sisters to walk away from their sin as they start to follow Jesus. Your brothers and sisters are, are likely to stumble again. And so that you don't stumble into temptation and sin, Jesus says, forgive them. Pastor Ken, you're, you're just telling me to be taken advantage of. No, no. Jesus says, forgive. He's not saying to trust. See, forgiveness is just giving up your right to pay them back. It's letting God bring justice to the situation. Here's an example. Say, let's say someone comes up and he punches you in the nose and you start bleeding. It, it, it's natural to see red. And it's natural to want blood in return for that sin. And what you need to do in that moment is remember that God already paid blood for that sin in his son. Friends, you can forgive anyone if you trust in God's justice instead of your own. This is not being taken advantage of. It's simply trusting in a higher justice. And here's what messes us up. We, we confuse forgiveness with trust. See, because forgiving someone who hurts me does not mean that I trust them. I'm not necessarily welcoming them to hurt me again. If, if somebody stole my wallet, I, I can forgive them. But I won't trust them not to take it again. I'm not going to leave it sitting on the counter. I'm not going to leave it around them to tempt them. Friends, forgiveness is instant. It's instant. Trust takes time, and it takes new experiences for it to be restored. The truth is, forgiveness is about your heart, not theirs. You can forgive people who do not repent. You can forgive people who refuse to repent. Jesus said, pay attention to yourself. Forgiveness is cleaning your own heart, getting rid of the hurt. Getting rid of the exhaustion with that person, uh, uh, holding on to the offense. It's, it's getting rid of your anger. It's getting rid of your resentment. It's getting rid of the tension that comes and the stress that comes. Friends, forgiveness is good for your heart. It will keep you from sin. And it has a great possibility to restore your other brother and sister. Jesus tells us to be disciplined and, and to do this daily in our Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We, we are led into temptation, friends, if we do not forgive. We are delivered into the hands of the evil one if we do not forgive. But we are safe with Jesus when we forgive. He says this, for if you, you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We are made clean by keeping our hearts clean of resentment. It's sanctifying. 
It is something that keeps us from sin by forgiving others. In recovery, we often said this about forgiveness. It's not about them. It's about you. You don't have to receive repentance from them. You, you do not have to believe someone is repentant. You do not have to, them to have to stop doing it for you to forgive them. Forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. The apostles said to Jesus, increase our faith. See, the more mature uh, of Jesus' disciples got what he was really asking them to do. And they knew it was really hard. See, we're all inclined to seek justice when we're sinned against. That's the natural thing to do. You know, people say forgive and forget. No, that's not easy. Because we, we like to hold on to things until we receive our justice in the situation and our retribution because we were offended. Forgiveness is not about our feelings. It's not about our feelings. It's not about positive emotions. Jesus does not say forgive when you feel like it or when you're ready. He says forgive, forgive. Jesus commands it because he knows that's what's best for us. And, and, and to do that requires faith. See, forgiveness is trusting God to deal with the injustice that happened to you in the offense. Someone's sin costs you something sometimes. Sometimes that cost is really, really great to your life. Often it feels like more than we can bear. And we as Christians must trust that Jesus has already borne it all. He has already carried all the sins of the world for us. We don't need to carry it anymore. And, and this, this takes faith or trusting in his ability to deal with it adequately. And then Jesus reassures us that a little faith, just a little faith, a mustard-sized faith has great power to help us forgive others. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. You know, unfortunately, my Bible translation in my personal Bible made five verses 5 and 6 a new section separating from Jesus talking about rebuking and forgiving. It's unfortunate because I, I was never connecting these passages and I intended on preaching another sermon next week on faith, but I realized it was the apostles right there that asked Jesus to increase their faith after they heard him speak on forgiving sinners, many who continue to sin against you. And Jesus is saying there is great power in faith, just a, a little faith. God can do big things in your heart with just a little faith. A little faith to do what Jesus has asked you to do, forgive. The, the power to forgive comes from him. If you will just be a little bit obedient and do it. You know, rabbis often use mulberry trees in their teaching because they have an extensive root, root system 
And often they taught that the word of God needs to take deep root in you to grow faith. And that's true. But this rabbi Jesus uses it here differently. That a little faith, a little faith, just a tiny bit, is able to uproot something that has many deep roots in us. When, when we are constantly offended by the sins of others, we, we build resentment in our hearts. And that resentment turns into bitterness, which has really deep roots. Oh, the picture's gone. Um, has really deep roots. Go to the, yeah, there you go. <laughs> has really deep roots. Has really deep roots. Those roots, friends, they choke out all of our joy. They choke out of our, our patience. They, they choke love and faith towards others. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no roots of bitterness or root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Notice that that verse says peace with everyone. Notice it says strive. Friends, we are to strive to pay attention to our own hearts. And friends, that takes effort. We, we pay attention to avoid roots of bitterness being grown in our hearts. Why? Because they, they cause trouble. They create temptation for more sin in us, but they also create more temptation for sin in others. Our bitterness causes sin, which defiles us, and it defiles what the word says here is many others. Remember what Jesus said about that millstone. Do you remember? Beloved, we need to repent of our unforgiveness that has led our hearts to resentment and bitterness so that we and so that others don't get stoned with a millstone and, and, and somehow fail to obtain the grace of God. Beloved, forgiving others is critical to your heart and to growing God's church. It's critical. Beloved, today, are you paying attention to your own heart? Or are you distracted by bitterness over the sins of others? You might be saying right now, Pastor, you just don't understand how I've been hurt. How I've been hurt by others. And, and friends, I, I don't. You're right. I don't, I don't know how you've been hurt. I've been hurt, too. But I've not experienced what you have. But I know someone who has. I, I know someone who has. And he still had the grace to forgive. Jesus, the one who created everything and everyone just to show us his love, came to this world and was rejected by the very ones he created. He should have been respected as a king, but he was despised and rejected by everyone and lived in total poverty. He was the one who wrote all the scriptures by the Holy Spirit, breathing onto men. But religious men who said they were expert in his word rejected his teaching. He was innocent of sin, but men full of sin spit upon him, and they beat upon him, and they stripped him naked publicly. They should have been ashamed for doing such a thing, but instead they shamed him. They abused him. They, they violated his body they put nails into his hands and into his feet to nail him on a cross. They stole his clothing. 
stripped him naked, and gambled for them as profit. His mother and his friends had to watch him be treated this way. And then he labored for every breath for hours, even though he had given us the very air we breathe. But what did he pray for them and for us when they hung him on that cross? What did he pray? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And friends, there's a bit of rebuke in that. It's a rebuke of our ignorance, of the cosmic truth of the love that he was sharing to forgive us. Not all the people you forgive get it. His father right there placed all of his wrath for our sin on his own son. You may think you really suffer the sins of others and that suffering is just too much. Think about every sin of every person that ever lived was laid upon him. Jesus, who was God and could not die, laid down his life and died for those who were sinning against him. And then for three days, he, he lay dead in a rotting tomb. But on the third day, a miracle happened because he did not let temptation lead him into sin. And he was obedient to his father to forgive us. God raised him from the dead. And he's alive today, proving that we could be forgiven and that we have the power inside us through the Holy Spirit to forgive others. He gave gifts to those who betrayed him. He, he gave forgiveness and everlasting life, even though none of us deserve it. And, and when you're struggling to forgive, I want you to remember the grace God has shown each one of you. It's, it's much greater grace. It's a much greater grace than your mustard seed of faith. But if you believe in it, it has the power to rip out all those roots of bitterness in your heart and make you clean. Friends, pay attention to your heart. Be at peace in his grace. You know, today, friends, I have given you rebuke through his word and through his spirit. And now is the time to repent of your unforgiveness. And as the singers sing, pay attention to your heart. Get it right with God. Make it clean now. Repent of your right to hold on to your hurts, to your exhaustion with people, to your anger at their sins, to your resentment that makes you feel bitter and to your tension with other people. Turn from that now. Turn to Jesus. Put your faith and your trust in him and find peace. Do not let your unforgiveness take away the grace of God from anybody. Now is the time to repent. We all need to clean our hearts. We, we need to pay attention to our own hearts. You may say it's too difficult. It's not. It's faith. It's to believe that God has already dealt with it. And sometimes you just need to hand it to him. 
and say, I'll give it to you to carry. I can't carry it anymore. Friends, I encourage you to do that today. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. And that's the time to repent. I'll be up here. If, if, if you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, come at that time and, 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 and find forgiveness in him. If you're a believer today and, and, you, uh, and you're holding on to bitterness and resentment, come deal with that today. Give it to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. And I praise you for your word. It's so clear. It's so good. And so relevant to each one of our hearts. Father, if there's anybody here today really struggling with this, Father, I pray that your grace would come upon them and you give them mustard seed-sized faith to deal with some big things in their life. Father, send your Holy Spirit to comfort, to encourage, to strengthen. Lord, you want to make them better. You want to make me better. Lord, let us accept Let us do what you've told us to do, to rebuke sin and to repent of sin. Father, guide us. Let us make you, Lord, not our emotions. Follow you to victory and life and freedom. We praise you, Jesus. praise you for what you've done for us. And we praise you for what you're going to continue to do for us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.